Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday afternoon. I'm really delighted to welcome back on the program Cruzy McCalligan for this week's midweek audio column. Cruz, n- lovely to speak to you on this sunny Wednesday. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing today? Yes, I'm doing very well. I think it helps with, with the weather being so lovely. You know, you just feel like you're in a better mood somehow, oh, sort of. For sure. I have a spring in my step because it's not... <laughs> the same temperature as the surface of the sun. <laughs> uh, and, uh, we've been in Hong Kong like too long. Well, we've been in Hong Kong all our lives, but we've been here far yeah. far too long. We, we, we get cold when the weather is like, 20, yeah, like 19 exactly. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got a really great topic. I'm really glad you chose uh, the topic you're going to talk about because it's the Awareness Month for your it's, topic. So what are you going to talk is. to us about? It is. October is Dwarfism Awareness Month. Um, and uh, today I'm going to be talking about dwarfism, as I know that um, hopefully many um, of our listeners realize that dwarfism is something very close to my heart. I have a daughter who has dwarfism, and it was being pregnant with her and having her that really, um, I, would, I would say that I've always been a disability advocate, and I've always been an open-minded person and accepted that people come in all shapes and sizes. But I was very ignorant about the breadth and diversity of people who have dwarfism. And I was in, incredibly, um, incredibly, I've been incredibly uh, fortunate to learn so much. And I am hoping to share some of that um, with you on the show today because it is Dwarfism Awareness Month and I would love to spread a little bit of awareness. We'd love for that. Thank you so much, Cruz. So I, I admit, yeah, I, I, like, like you, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a disability advocate, but I just don't know so much about different types of disability. Would you classify um, dwarfism as a disability? What, what's your sort of thought on, on this? Yeah, so I think what's really fascinating about any disabilities is the way that people, I mean, you have to respect the in, individual ways that people would like to um, identify themselves. And for me, it's been interesting. I never, um, I always thought that, you know, you don't have to use the word disability. And actually, through the dwarfism community, through the little people community, um, so if I just step back to use a little bit of terminology, so um, I... Um, I, as a parent of someone with dwarfism, I refer to my daughter as having dwarfism. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I refer to her by her name first. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I say that she has dwarfism or that I say that she is a little person. Um, there is a slur, um, which is the word midget. The word midget is extraordinarily offensive. Um, please never use that term. If you've used that term before in the past and not realized um from this point onwards, please never say that word. It is extremely offensive, and it's offensive because it harks back to the days of people with dwarfism and little people being used as sideshow freak exhibits. So mm-hmm. we don't use that term. Anyway, but um, so in terms of uh, disability, I think what's been interesting in, and I'm still learning, as I know you are too, in our in our in the world of disability and people with disabilities, that um, if you don't recognise that someone has a disability, they don't always have access to the accommodations that they require. If you say, for example, that a little person, oh, they can do anything else anybody else can do, they're just short. Mm. They're not just short. There are lots of issues. There that are come some limitations. More yeah. person. Yes, there are limitations. Yes. Absolutely. There are health issues, there are accessibility issues. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we assume that somebody, oh, they're just short and we we ignore their experience and we ignore the challenges they face, 
The problem is that we then don't become able to provide the accommodations or recognize that they do require accommodations and they should be entitled to those accommodations. Mm-hmm. So that is why I, I don't have a, personally, I don't have a problem saying my daughter has a disability. I'm very proud of her. Um, and I, I think she is absolutely perfect. So in, in that, that's my personal um, view and perspective. Now, of course, I don't think everyone agrees with me. I think there's lots of different views, but that is, that is my um, view at the moment. Um, so dwarfism is super interesting. Um, I have a figure here that says there's over 200 different types of dwarfism, but to be oh, honest, wow. I think it's closer to 400, wow. actually. Yes. And something people don't know is actually over half of those types of dwarfism are referred to as lethal. Um, and they're lethal because the, um, the, the condition that affects the bones uh, and that affects the growth of the different um, growth of the body can actually um, affect so many other things that it is um, not survivable. So I think that's an important differentiation to make as well. Um, And this is my experience when I was pregnant with my daughter. We were told that she probably had a lethal form of dwarfism and that um, that it affected the growth of her rib cage and they were worried that her lungs wouldn't have grown sufficiently. So it's quite a complex um, family of genetic conditions. But I think it's also important to remember that 80% of people with dwarfism are born to average height parents. I wouldn't say normal height parents, we'd say average height mm. parents, because even, of course, with There's average no height normal people, and height, we come in all normal. shapes and sizes. You and I are both average height, and yes. I think I'm twice your size, <laughs> You know, so um, the majority of forms of dwarfism are from a spontaneous mutation. and um, But, of course, some forms of dwarfism can be passed on to children, either when parents have dwarfism themselves or when the parents are genetic carriers of a specific mutation. So this is really interesting, actually. Um, My daughter's type of dwarfism is a very rare type of dwarfism called cartilage hair hyperplasia, and it is a recessive condition. So me and my husband both have a mutated gene that we did not know about, and it was only when the stars aligned and we met one another and made a baby that we realized that um, that would result in a 25% of having a child with that condition. But the majority of types of dwarfism are completely spontaneous. So the most common form of dwarfism... Oh, I learned that phrase. It's a de novo mutation. It happens. Yes. Look at you with your... Oh, with my terminal, because I I wondered about Kipper's hearing loss as well, whether it was an autosomal uh, recessive in in which Andy and I were carriers, um, or was it a de novo, uh, a spontaneous uh, mutation, which it wasn't, yes, so... And I just like that name Nova as well, Dinova. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, so this is what's really interesting. So when we when we classify someone with dwarfism, we're typically referring to someone under the height of four foot ten inches. Um, its uh, its prevalence in our society is between ten to fifteen thousand births. So every ten to fifteen thousand births will have someone with who has dwarfism, who has a spontaneous mutation. Um, and the majority of people who have dwarfism have a type of dwarfism called uh, dwarfism called achondroplasia, or which is um which is probably the the most I suppose the mo- the form most people are familiar with. Um, Peter Dinklage from the Game of Thrones is probably the most famous person with achondroplasia at the moment. Although there are many, many, many famous brilliant people with achondroplasia. Um, and so 
That is a completely spontaneous mutation. Absolutely anybody could have a child with achondroplasia. Um, and the thing is that um, what people don't realize is that while we talk about dwarfism as being a height-related condition, it's not just about height. There are other medical issues that can arise due to dwarfism. And this is where I think that that identification is really important, Noreen, when we talk about like disability, because um, it's causing a lot of debate in the dwarfism community around the world with different little people. Of course, oh, um, even within the community itself. Yes, very much, very oh. much. So at the moment, um, there is a biopharmaceutical company um, who have created a drug that could potentially, they, they use the term cure, it's a bit of a loose term, it could uh, it could stimulate growth in people who have achondroplasia, who have the most common type of dwarfism. So, of course, every oh, I have heard of that, but they have to have it when they're very young. They do. They have to have it when they're young. And at the moment, in little people communities um, and groups, there are some parents who've opted to do the drug trial. There are some people who have chosen mm. not to. Mm. Um, it becomes quite an ethically charged. Um, issue, but the reality is that a lot of people who have um, the majority—I would hope—the majority of people who have, who have children with dwarfism, um, the stature doesn't bother them. They don't mind if their child is small, but the the problem is that um, being very, very small, the uh, most human beings are not designed to be very, very small. Mm. So we can run into problems, and that can mean that people have spinal compression. Um, they can have hydrocephalus, so they can have fluid on the brain. They can have arthritis. They can have huge amounts of pain. And so this company has created um, a, a drug that can add a little burst of um, growth to children with a very specific type of dwarfism, with achondroplasia, and it will give them a little bit of extra height, and it may alleviate some of those issues. So I think that's why a lot of parents have chosen to explore that. So it's not now, simply um, just to make them, you know, a, a few inches not taller. Not just to make them a few exactly. inches taller, no. It's but for other reasons. Yes. if you were a little person and you hear about this, bearing in mind that um, a lot of people choose, if now that we have genetic testing, we have prenatal testing, people can choose whether or not they want to have a child with dwarfism, if that spontaneous mutation, if anything happens to their baby in utero, they can decide whether mm. they want to carry that child to term, right? They can. That's that's the world we live in right now is people can, you know, have a lot of choice whether or not those are informed choices or not. So what's um, interesting is that's becoming quite a big debate. Um, and I understand why people would get very upset about that because for years um, people have tried to eliminate dwarfism, not forever, and I'm going to go back into history in a little while and tell you that there was a time when people with dwarfism were truly revered, but for years doctors have used limb lengthening and hormone treatments to try and counter and cure um, the over 400 underlying causes of dwarfism, and um, but the reality is that like there's I remember one limb um, lengthening sounds limb really lengthening. painful, Cruz. Um, yes. Without going to a lot of detail, it's actually a very serious procedure. You are actually breaking the bones and letting them heal again, so that they'll grow a little bit. That's exactly right, and it has to take place when a child is going through their kind of puberty growth spurt. <sighs> so um, you're you're taking it to, to add a little bit of height. You are meaning that a child's going to be immobile in kind of one of the most active years of their childhood. You is, know it what I mean? popular, so, is it quite a popular um, option for, for, for uh, many little people and their families? In Hong Kong, I think it is. 
Um, I think it is. And I think that has to do with, um, as I'm sure, you know, we've talked at length about that, that, you know, Hong Kong does have a way to go in terms of being proud of diversity and disability. We do have a long way to go in our society and people do still have some prejudices. I think we're much better than we have been in the past, but we do still have prejudices. And I think there is a desire to... um, gravitate back to the norm however possible and I think that um, parents who maybe haven't received that support from their families from their religious communities from anything um, may just take any chance as may see something like a short child as something really um, a really 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 bad fate so a lot of people take that around the world it's less popular I think it depends on um, country to country and of course on individual to individual because you know if, if somebody chooses to have limb lengthening surgery for themselves you have to respect their wishes you know I I know with my daughter it will be an option for her in the future personally I would hope she doesn't take it but I also will always respect her um, her wishes and um, her autonomy for her own body you know mm. So it's complicated, it is, um, yeah. but it is. It, but the thing is, I think it's that that idea about understanding the way that we see dwarfism in the context of society. Um, Peter Dinklage um, had a very famous quote, which said, "You know, like uh, belittling people of with dwarfism is one of the last acceptable bastions of bastions of prejudice. Like you can't, you should, well, you shouldn't be anyway. You, there's so many minority groups." that you will you will not you can't say anything against them and you shouldn't and you shouldn't be prejudiced about them you can't express racism it's wrong and you should you know you should face the consequences for racist opinions absolutely but um for some reason when you set makes jokes about little people um they're still really mainstream and the ones that i've come across just in the last four years um since having my daughter i can't describe to you how it feels to see like world famous comedians get up on stage and make midget jokes like there's just no when you know and love somebody Mm. who exists in a body that you believe to be so beautiful because all human bodies are beautiful um it's just devastating you know Mm. um and i wish that we could go back to ancient egypt (laughs) because (laughs) in ancient egypt um little people were considered to be intimately connected to the divine in fact in pre-literate societies, um, they often saw people with disabilities as conduits to heaven. And I think we sacred. Yeah, I think yes, we did talk about this. <laughs> yes, yes. And the ancient Egyptians associated dwarves with Beth, who was the god of home, family, and childbirth, oh. and Ptah, who was the god of earth's essential elements. And this is so, so nice. So these gods represented youth and the earth. And they also play a little bit of a, a role in enduring kind of stereotypes that, you know, um, that there's, you know, there's, uh, there's a kind of like uh, otherworldliness to somebody, unfortunately, but because of their connection with the gods, they were, um, they were revered in Egypt and they were allowed to serve high roles in the government, um, which is amazing, you know, um, whereas, you know, you find them that they were jewelers, uh, bird catchers, pilots, all these different, well, not pilots of boats, not of planes, obviously. They didn't have planes, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but of course, we see as time goes on, they they start being delegated to, um, relegated rather to lower status roles. And we see them becoming attendants and nurses. Interestingly, um, people with dwarfism, little people, had a reputation for being wonderful midwives because of their association with the god Bess, who was the god of family, and also because having shorter limbs made them perfectly suited to aiding someone else in childbirth. Oh. 
which is amazing. I didn't know that. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, we get then we get to ancient Rome, who have a lot to answer for, um, where owners would intentionally malnourish their slaves so they would sell for a higher price. Um, uh, when we talk about dwarfism, there's a lot of different reasons. There's genetic reasons for dwarfism. There's also environmental reasons for dwarfism. Um, there are a lot of people in the world who have dwarfism who are smaller in stature due to childhood neglect. Um, and it's a really hard thing to think mm. about. But when we're not given the things that our bodies need to grow, they don't grow the way that they could. Mm. So that's an important thing to think about as well. So, um, so of course, we see that then they become, in the Middle Kingdom, dwarves became likely kind of personal attendants or nurses. And then... Um, um, and then in ancient Rome, we then see that they're suddenly um, becoming they're kind of becoming associated with something a little bit more menacing. And we have the idea of like the Dionysian cults um, and kind of rituals from Dionysian cults and that kind of like mocking of mocking of different um, mocking of different bodies and that kind of like uh, other otherness of them, um, and which is very disappointing. Um, and the courts of China um, uh, used to employ people with dwarfism as entertainers and court jesters. This is obviously in ancient China. And there also was a sort of like there's unfortunately a level of fetishism associated with that as well. Um, and then by the time of the Italian Renaissance, little people became almost like a commodity all over Western Europe and Russia and China. There was um, kind of court, court dwarves and it was like this idea of having kind of collecting collecting otherworldly people um, as kind of creatures, and this is terrible. Um, and then, so we have this kind of freak show element emerging, um, which is very upsetting and kind of unfortunately has informed a lot of how people view people, little people today. Mm. Um, there was the uh, there was the Marchioness of Mantua, Isabella d'Este, who saw people with dwarfism as collectible items and hoarded them in her palace in Italy. She, along she collected with art. people with dwarfism? She collected, she collected them as objects um, <sighs> with art and like, like gold and silver and jewellery. And she put them in specially designed rooms with low ceilings and little staircases um, that was for them to be displayed. And um, yeah, so it's it's quite horrific when you think about it, especially, um, so it doesn't, doesn't uh, of course, it makes sense that then when we fast forward a bit, that then little people were taken advantage of by greedy brokers and agents um, and people with the freak show circuit and the phenomena of human exhibits um, singularing, singling out these different differences about people and displaying them as curiosities. And that was really a, a marketing ploy. And then that took off everywhere. Um, and it's awful. And of course, for most of early history, um, even so you've got people doing it kind of in terms of like an entertainment way. And then you have the medical community who were obviously, this is when they were, it, the medical community was in its infancy, but the response of them was to measure everything about someone who was little, their nose, their hair, their genitals, everything. And it was like this meaningless collection of data that was accompanied by condescending notes on the appearance and intellect of someone with dwarfism. And um, then you have this idea that, you know, then we have what we have, dime museums. We have um, villages of little people that are tourism locations. I know there's quite a few in China. Um, and so there's all these different awful things um, that are happening and the way that people treat them. I mean, even when we look at... Um, as I'm sure um, we've talked about this before, like people, when we talk about the Holocaust, people forget um, 
forget the cost of uh, disabled lives that were lost mm. in the Holocaust. Mm. And um, Dr. Joseph Mengele, the infamous Nazi doctor, um, or, you know, horrific torturer, he had uh, he kept an, a family of Romanian little people performers captive in Auschwitz subjecting them to various tests and experiments that included pulling out their teeth and hair specimens and things like that, like, you know, really torturing these people. Um, and, and it was because they, you know, that people thought that because they had their body, the way that people wrote about them, even as late as 1983, there was an orthopedic surgery document that um, said of achondroplasia, because of their deformed bodies, they have strong feelings of inferiority and are emotionally immature and often vain, boastful, excitable, fond of drink, and sometimes lascivious. Like, to, to say that about someone. I can't even imagine. On the shape of their body. Like, it's, it's, um, it's very hard to read and to, to listen to. Um, but, yeah, so I think that, we can understand a lot of where prejudice comes from towards little people, mm. um, you know. But I would like to say that in amongst all of this, all these um, horrific displays of human um, cruelty, uh, there were many, many, and there remain many little people who have made incredible, or albeit quieter, contributions to history. There was... Um, the poet and bishop Antoine Godot, who was best known for his works of criticism. There was an economist, Ferdinando Galliani, who was one of the leading figures in the Enlightenment movement. There was Alexander Pope, who was a classical poet known as the most accomplished verse satirist in English. And there was Benjamin Lay, who was an early slave abolitionist, and he was a good friend of Benjamin Franklin. Oh. You know, like... Oh. <laughs> And, and even after, you know, probably enduring enormous prejudice himself, went on to be a contributor to the abolition of the slave movement. Um, there have been novelists, engineers. Today, there are rocket scientists, athletes, and everyday people, mums, dads, brothers, sisters, bakers, teachers. I mean, I think that's the other thing we talk about when we talk about the world of disability not everyone has to be an inspirational overachiever you can just lead a beautiful quiet <laughs> productive life in some way shape or form and you are still a valuable human being um so yes yeah, so it's very it's, it's a very complicated um way of looking at things but i think that things are i would hope that things are uh, are improving um there's a lot of uh, popularity of shows today like little people big world and the little couple and um uh, the Seven Johnsons as well. Um, and of course, we're starting to respect um, like people uh, for their abilities beyond just what they look like, just across the board. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Peter Dinklage is obviously really well known as being a phenomenal actor. Um, you know, whether or not he has dwarfism, you can't deny his talent as an actor. So I think it's been a really interesting, um, it, it, it is very, very interesting the way we're changing. Yeah. I was going to say, Chris, we've we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, is there? Uh, I know you're very active in the uh, little people community, and you travel overseas for for conventions. Is there anything sort of locally in Hong Kong? Are there families and and, and support groups uh, here in Hong Kong? There are. There is a Little People Hong Kong organization, and I encourage you to look it up, lphk.org.hk. Um, and that's a wonderful community. Um, 
It's uh, there's a lot of uh, adults with uh, with dwarfism who uh, like mentor or work with children with dwarfism. There's amazing uh, like now there's a lot of things happening with the Olympic Paralympic Committee to offer sports classes for people with dwarfism. Um, it, there's so much going on, and um, I think we forget in Hong Kong because um, we do have this assumption. We do have an assumption that most people are prejudiced, but actually there are some amazing things happening, and there are so many opportunities to embrace children for exactly who they are. Um, and who they could be and reach their potential. Um, so yes, there is a Little People Hong Kong organization and it's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, Cruz, thank you so much for your enlightenment and, and sharing so much that you've learned uh, through your journey with our listeners this afternoon. I, I learned a lot from you and, and happy Dwarfism Awareness Month and may the awareness continue beyond this month and for people to learn more, to know more about uh, little people. And like you said, you know, th- they're all around us, you know, and, and sometimes we just sort of yeah. walk past and we don't say hello or anything. And sometimes the best way, as you've said many times on the program, is just to say hello to someone (laughs) someone. someone. exactly exactly (laughs) Cruz thank you so much for your time this afternoon and I look forward to more audio columns with you next week thank you very much indeed thank you bye thank you Cruz and also